Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we're going to talk to Jordan Enke, the VP of Stadium Operations for Austin FC. He's going to be the person in charge of kind of the, the fan experience and making sure that the, the building is running smoothly. So we'll get to talk to him a little bit about what that experience is going to be like when the stadium opens here in a couple of months. We also have a couple of player rumors and uh, maybe a, a an imminent player signing to talk about now that there's a CBA in place. And um, we'll also talk about those CBA updates. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm I'm Jeremiah Bentley. I think, Landon, we should start. Um, let's talk about a Twitter poll that you ran since we love Twitter polls. Uh, wait, who's the source of this? Somebody this asked. This is Mike, Mike Carr. Mike, Mike Carr, Carr. That's sorry. right. He, he, uh, he heard our our call last week to to send us questions and like chat with us on on Twitter, and so he sent a really interesting question that I had not really thought about before, uh, and so we wanted to talk about it on the show. But his question was, "Who is the best player in Texas right now with with the current MLS rosters as they stand right now? Who is the best player in Texas?" Uh, and I don't. It's not an easy one to answer, really. Yeah, it's not. Um, and I thought. I'm not surprised that it's not somebody on Houston, but uh, well, actually, my answer is going to be somebody on Houston, probably just because I don't want to be a super homer. But um, <laughs> I was surprised that Dallas didn't have more contenders for that spot, given that they've been pretty good, you know, uh, in and out. But they just don't have seemed a lot of I guess they're not building it on star power for sure. So I will ask you, who is your choice for the best play- MLS player in Texas? So to actually to give Dallas a little bit of love on uh on the striker, there's a forum section in the striker, and I posted this question here. And Chris Bills, actually, he he picked a Dallas player. He picked Matt Hedges from ah. Dallas. Um, and depending on how, like, what criteria you're calling best, I could that that's a reasonable answer. Like, if if I were starting a franchise, um, I I still don't know that I would pick Matt Hedges, but he would be in in on my short list be, for sure. He'd be on your list, yeah. He's been he's been a, a really solid piece of that uh, the FC Dallas teams for the last several years. So uh, he also mentioned uh, Ryan Hollingshead from from Dallas, who's also been really uh, solid for for them. Um, man, I I think mine. I, I think a lot of people like in Austin said Cecilio, which isn't a bad shout. I think it's. It's risky though, right? Like we we've we haven't seen him play in MLS yet. He hasn't been a superstar in any of the other places he's played. So I think he's going to be really good, and I think he will be a really good player. But we just haven't seen him yet. Um, Darwin Quintero is one that came came to mind. He's a little bit older now and hasn't been as consistent, and does frankly just doesn't start as much and doesn't see as many minutes. So I could see you saying like, if you're going to go with. Uh, one guy for one game. Like if you needed him for one game, who you're going to pick Darwin Quintero might be that guy. But um, the way I'm thinking about it is more of like, I need a guy for a whole season. And I think my pick would actually be Alex ring in that scenario. That's, that's a, that's a good choice. I mean, he's, and he's proved it over a long time, but he's still got a lot of gas left in the tank. So I, I can see that. Yeah. Quintero's my guy on that list. Just cause I think he has, even now still sort of the greatest peak ability out of anybody. If you needed like something magical to happen from someone. So he was mine. And we promised uh, soccer analyst, Chris Wellhausen that we would share his answer. And I don't remember what it was. So do you... <laughs> I think he picked Cecilio. Okay. Well, that's kind of lame, but I mean, it's, it's yeah. easy, but that's fine. 
<laughs> yeah, I I agree. I think I think is if we're taking like peak abilities, I think Quintero is maybe the easy answer. Um, yeah, I mean Ricarte in Dallas could be a pick for that as well. Uh, he hasn't been. I don't I don't know that he was like consistently amazing, but he showed kind of flashes of what what he can do. He's he's a really talented player, but yeah, I think I think Ring from just like a consistency standpoint would be my pick. All right, let's uh let's jump into some of the biggest MLS news this week, which is the collective bargaining agreement has uh has been agreed upon. We got the, we're recording this on a Monday night, and so this came out um, earlier today on Monday. So we'll give you kind of the brief rundown of of what the CBA looks like. Uh, we're not going to go into get into the weeds on this. We're going to send you to uh, now friend of the show Sam Stayschool and his partner writing partner Paul Tenorio to uh, to get all of the the nitty gritty and get in the weeds on there because that's what they're experts in. So you can find their articles on The Athletic. Also have a podcast called Allocation Disorder where they get into it and kind of talk about all, all of the details kind of at a, a more granular level. We're going to give you the overview here though. So uh, the short of it is the CBA is extended by two years. Um, what that Essentially, it's going to be locked in place for two extra years on the front end. And then all of the increases that were set in um, are still happening to to greater or lesser degrees throughout the rest of the life of the CBA. So it's going to go through 2027 now. Um, bonus structures from the previous collective bargaining agreement will maintain as they were. Uh, there's going to be fewer restrictions on free agency in 2026 and 2027. So instead of uh, right now, it's 24 years old and five years of service. They're going to lower it down to 24 years old and four years of service um, to be eligible for free agency. They're also going to increase the amount of money that a free agent can essentially the increase the raise that they're eligible for in free agency. Uh, and then there's also going to be some other uh, kind of increases in salary budget throughout the way. Again, those are the details we're going to send you to Paul and Sam for. Uh, we're not going to get into it too much. So um, I think one of the biggest pieces of news that it happened today is just that it means that the season is going to start in April as as it's been scheduled. So um, I think that's probably like some of the most exciting news out of it, right? Yeah, always. I mean, CBA negotiations are not super fun, but the fact that we were past that and moving on is good. I think overall, how would you rate this? And we've talked about, we're both fans of the player side of things, but compared to where we started and where we got to with this deal today, like, do you think this is a good deal for players, a bad deal for players? You think, I mean, do you think it if, over? We're, if we're picking a side that won, owners definitely won. Um, the players had, had very little leverage in it. And I, I listened to kind of an emergency episode of Allocation Disorder that they put out and the way that that Sam put it was that the players was were essentially playing defense. Like normally in this kind of uh this kind of negotiation, you would be like fighting to get more out of it. And the players just had very little leverage. And so he's the, the phrasing it as playing defense, I think is pretty apt. Um yeah, so they they did end up getting some more things out of it that that weren't in place for the previous iteration of the CBA, but um, yeah, the extending it for two years past the, the world cup and past the next TV deal. That's, that's a big win for the owners. They're going to keep a lot more of their money that way. Um, so yeah, I, I think owners definitely win in the long run, but players are going to 
get 100% of their salary, uh, their current salary for the next few years. So in a, a stretch of the league where there's not going to be as much revenue coming in, you could you could see a reality where they would take a pay cut during these tough times for businesses where there's not as much money coming through the gates, not as much money coming into the clubs. And so the players might take a pay cut. That's not going to happen. They're going to make 100% of their current salaries for the next two years. So um, not as good in the long run, but better for them in the, in the present day, which in reality is that's where a lot of these players live, right? Like I think the median salary is um, so 180. Cause Sam, Sam, yeah. yeah. So it's, I mean, that's not nothing, but there's a lot of guys making less than that who are like living in apartments and trying to feed families and all that kind of stuff. So like there's a lot of too many of the players living kind of below that that luxurious line that they, they need that paycheck. They can't go more than a month or two without it. So um, that that's another positive coming out as well, that nobody's going to have to do that. They're going to keep getting paid. Yeah, I think it was good too because they and they did that without getting locked out because they would have all missed out on some on some money if they got locked out. So the fact that they got some concessions back from the original author from the owners, which seemed very set in stone from the way that they talked about it. I mean, I think it's a small win, but I think it's about all the win that they could expect. Um, so let's talk about what it means for Austin FC. Um, with, with, we've covered number one, right? The fact that the big hurdle on getting started. Like we get to play, we know we're going to have a preseason and a season and it's not going to be this summer or or fall or whatever before it happens is number one, but um, maybe talk about a couple couple of the other things that that have come out of it. Yeah. I think there's a few, a few of them. So um, we, we haven't seen any details about this come out, but there's been this long rumored U22 initiative um, where essentially you can have three, the rumor is three players under 22 years old that make uh, above X amount of money that would essentially cost less towards your salary budget. And uh, we think that Rodney Redes probably falls into this category and maybe more players that we're going to sign would fall into this category. So um, looking at just kind of roster construction, it having players who fall into this, these special roster slots uh, really, really increase your flexibility when building out the rest of the roster. So that's one positive. Uh, another positive, we, which we mentioned on our last episode, uh, and we'll talk more about this now, but we think there's probably some signings in the works right now that um, Sam Stachel mentioned last week that if if you're a player and you have an agent that's worth his salt, he's probably delaying this this signing until after this agreement signed, right? Cause he doesn't want to sign you to a club and who is immediately going to lock you out and you're con- contractually obligated to, to play for the team, but they're not going to pay you. So um, I would imagine in lots of, lots of places, but especially in Austin where we've seen some pretty serious rumors coming about, I think it's going to free us up to make those signings now that we need to make instead of pushing it back until after that agreement's made. Yeah, um, I agree I- that. And we've seen a little bit of that already, right? Like is it with other teams that, that even over the weekend, as it seemed like it was going to get done and, and stuff, we've seen signings happen. So it's 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 definitely coming here soon. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I think just in general, just there's not going to be any more interruptions. I think with Austin, with having most, maybe not all of the players are in town yet, but I think most of them are. They're, they've started uh, doing... Um, 
optional training sessions. I, I don't know how optional or mandatory those are, but they're technically optional right now, but the players are in town. They're at least doing conditioning work right now. Um, so it seems like I know Austin as an organization is excited to get started, but I think the players seem excited as well, just based on social media interactions and uh, just kind of the way that players have been talking about starting this new opportunity. I can imagine that they're all excited to move to this amazing city and to get started with this new this new operation. So I bet they didn't want to to have the the season pushed back anymore or whatever. So I think just just like a little bit more uh, structure and um, just like knowing when things are going to happen now. And that's, that's going to be really important for kind of the weird scenario that is an expansion team during COVID times anyway. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's a positive thing for, for Austin FC, but, uh, we'll, we'll see what, um, what comes of it in the next few weeks. <clears throat> we did, we did see that there, um, Paul Tenorio mentioned this on Twitter that he wouldn't be surprised if there was still some like movement as far as start dates for preseason camps, as well as the season start just because of kind of the timeline of, of when these um, like all the, the T's get crossed and the I's get dotted. And then Jeremiah, you, you mentioned off mic that whenever that happens, like in Austin, all the players are here because they're moving to a new city or whatever, but in other cities, that's not necessarily the case. Um, so it, it might take some time for these other teams to, to kind of get everything ready to get a season started when they weren't necessarily planning on doing it yet. Yeah, we're looking at, we would be, when the show comes out, we'll be 13 days out from when practice would have started and thinking about what people need to have to plan for and bring people in and travel schedules and all that. I can see how it would be a little bit delayed, but it's good that that we're moving forward um, overall. Yeah. Um, So we're talking about potential signings. There's actually a real signing over the last week. Uh, So Austin FC signed... Aaron Schoenfeld, he was uh, played for Minnesota last year, but was a free agent, so they picked him up as a free agent. Um, do you have any? I didn't ask you to do this, but do you have a, like a bio prepared for him? Yeah, yeah, I could go over it kind of quickly. I mean, it's you know, it is what it is. I always, I'm going to give credit to the uh, PR office of Austin FC because they always find an exciting title for everybody they sign, no matter what. And this one is. Free agent and two-time Israeli Premier League champion, Aaron Schoenfeld. That's right. And he has a nickname that I don't think we can go into in this show, but people should look up. Also, <laughs> was it Big Broccoli? What was it? No, Big Celery. Big Celery. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, so Aaron spent 2020 season with Minnesota United. 15 appearances, four starts, and one goal. Um, before that, he spent five seasons in the Israeli Premier League, which is 2016 to 2019, which is when they won the three trophies. That they mentioned that that was mentioned in the headline. Uh, unsurprising time before that is that he spent four years with the Columbus Crew, 2012 to 2015, six goals, three assists, and 56 matches there. So again, probably somebody at the front office had a lot of experience with. Um, death player. He's our second, I think, true forward. I mean, he's a, like what six four. He's definitely a target striker, you know, along with Hoosen, which makes him unique. Um, and originally he was drafted. This is a thing I also have problems with on terminology because it says he was drafted by Club de Foot Montreal in 2012, which didn't <laughs> exist. 
So he was ran for the Montreal Impact in 2012. The artist we formerly shouldn't... known as the Montreal yeah. Impact. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, what else do you know about him, Landon? Anything beyond that? That he has beautiful, piercing blue eyes. <laughs> I missed that. And that, uh, yeah, look, look it up. He's he's a good looking guy. We have we've got some some good looking boys on our soccer team, <laughs> Jeremiah. We can maybe that's going to be the next Twitter poll is which which boy is the most handsome. <laughs> um, My wife is a big Beasler fan. When it comes down oh, to yeah? that, yeah, yeah. I uh, I I think uh, Cas- Julio Cascante is uh, he he's a very handsome man. Um, so yeah, as far as who Aaron Schoenfeld is as a player, he's six foot four, big guy, scores headers. Um, he's actually he's surprisingly fast. Um, so not just a big lumbering guy. He's he's a decent athlete as well. Um, as far as like the role he's gonna play on the on the feet on the team, uh, he's I think he's affordable and reliable depth. Um, I don't think there's any illusions of him coming in to be the starter, even competing for a starting spot. I think he's going to be there when we need him. And uh, someone that Josh Wolf knows from his time in Columbus that a lot of the players will know just because he's been around the league a lot. So uh, seem, seems like a, a solid guy, like a guy that other players really like. So um, I, I think that's what it is. He's, he's, reliable and affordable depth that is a kind of a known quantity. So um, one question that I was kind of pondering is, do we think that this means that that they're done signing like pure number nines? Or do you think that there's still room for another one on this roster? I think knowing the way that we think they want to play, I, I don't see another senior roster player that competes for time you know, coming on board. I mean, is there a USL guy who's player, you know, filling the 28th roster slot or something? Maybe, but I don't think there's anybody that you would expect to meaningfully um, get any matches coming after this. Well, how about, how about you? No, I, I completely agree. I think with um, assuming we, we kind of think that Josh Wolf's style is going to be somewhat similar to Greg Berhalter's style. And in the last several U.S. men's national team games, we've seen Sebastian Legette play as the number nine. And then Jesus Ferrero is playing in that in the in the most recent game. And not I think Greg Berhalter kind of fought back on the the term false nine, but he did drop into the midfield and combine in the midfield a lot. And so um, having players like Cecilio who can do that uh, player like John Gallagher, who played a lot of uh, nine for Atlanta last year, we have other players who can slot in and kind of do a serviceable role in the way that Wolf is going to want them to play. So I think you're right. I think we're probably not going to sign any more number nines just because that's not necessarily going to be the focal point of what this offense is about. And then if we need someone else to fill in, we have other guys who can, who can do that in a pinch. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So let's move on to a potential international signing. But before we do that, um, so you don't go back, you never listen to old shows, do you? Do you no. ever go back? Okay. <laughs> so one year ago, we did this show where we interviewed Chris and Markham, um, which is great, and people should check that out. But it was also the week that um, L.A. signed Chicharito. It was, oh. basically, it was basically a year ago. And I was really into that signing and thought that he was going to be great and it's going to be really good for the Galaxy and for MLS. So just when I'm expressing player opinions in the future, I want, <laughs> so I want that was all a disclaimer for this. <laughs> yes. All disclaimer before we talk about <laughs> what we think about Thomas Pochettino. So yeah, we mentioned him last week. Um, what are the updates that we have about a potential 
international signing, Tomas Pochettino from uh, Argentina. Yeah, so we mentioned the the Twitter rumor. Um, Cesar Luis Merlo uh, was the tweet this came from. Is uh, I don't I was not familiar with with Cesar Luis Merlo before, but apparently he's a, a fairly reliable source uh, when it comes to this kind of stuff. Rumors have continued since then. Uh, it has not died down. And um, we heard last week that uh, Pochettino actually did not travel to Buenos Aires for a friendly against Boca. He stayed in Cordoba, which is where Tayere, he plays for Talleres de Cordoba. Um, and he stayed in Cordoba training there. And then there was a quote from uh, the president of Talleres, Andres Fassi. And he said that negotiations are advanced but not finalized and then said that we, we could see that these these negotiations being finalized soon. And that was last week when that happened. So um, if you have the president naming Austin FC specifically and saying that negotiations are advanced, then I think that's probably the case. Um, so, yeah, I again, we mentioned before with the CBA, it, I think that's if this is happening, then it was probably not going to happen until after the CBA was signed. And so uh, right before we started recording, I checked Twitter to see if Anthony Precourt had tweeted green smoke gif and and nothing yet. But I wouldn't be surprised if it happened soon. Yeah. So hopefully when we do this show again in a week, we'll have an announcement of some sort to make either him or, or somebody else. But I'd, I'd expect to see that maybe um, maybe then. Um, so then we had another rumor also about Jose Florentine, which came from an interesting source. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the Bright Verde podcast, which is uh, Marcelo Parodi, I think is how you say his name. Uh, but he's been he's been doing that podcast for the last year or so, I think. Um, and he had the guys from uh, We Are Austin TV. If you're active on on Austin FC social media, you will have seen We Are Austin TV's content doing lots of uh, like fun edits with the players and and footage from inside the stadium and things like that. So uh, if you're not following him, follow him because it's it's been a lot of fun to watch watch what those guys are doing. But they had those guys on uh, Bright Verde podcast had the We Are Austin Austin TV guys on uh, the podcast and uh, Hernan, who I think is the kind of the main guy that runs that account, uh, said that he had been messaging on Instagram with. Jose Florentine after a Guarani game that he watched and told him good game. And Florentine responded with Os vemos pronto. Like that translates to we'll see y'all soon, essentially. And so Hernan mentioned that on the podcast and I was like, whoa, interesting. Because there there were rumors before about this signing, right? And I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe they'll sign three players from Guarani. That wouldn't be, I mean, it's crazy, but it's like, it's not stupid. Like he's a good player. So, um, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty wild that like, I don't know. I, what do you think that that means? Like he's definitely coming or what do you read into that? It's so hard to tell. Um, after, after how much Luis saw Miguel Ayun enjoy like Austin <laughs> FC fandom, I've got a little bit skeptical of every player, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised by it. He's the same agent as everybody else. Um, he has, sort of has the same story with Romagna, where you can see that um, you know they went down and observed him and decided maybe he was worth adding to the roster. I don't really, I don't know that much about where he plays or where he fits or whether that's you know a good idea. I know we have plenty of international slots available after the draft, so 
there's not a ton of downside to that depending upon the cost. But I mean, what do you think about it? I think I'm, I mean, whenever the rumor first came out, um, I watched some video of him then and I was like, uh, not super high on it, but he, he is a, a pretty exciting player. He was Guarani's leading goal scorer, uh, in the 2020 season. Um, he, I, I don't think he's the player we need right now. If, if this would have come up a few signings back, like before the last three or four that we've signed or, and then the Pochettino rumor that looks like it's, it's legitimate. Um, I just, if, if we sign Pochettino, especially, I don't think he's the player we need, we need right now. He plays, uh, centrally. So he'll play like kind of in like a double pivot sometimes. And a lot of times what I will play like a four, one, four, one, and he'll be two of the central midfielders in that line of four, uh, but very pretty attack minded. Um, he's very, very direct player, uh, really dangerous on counterattacks, scores some headers. Um, but as as far as just like fitting into an Austin FC system, I don't entirely see it. But uh, yeah, who knows? We might be surprised. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about how he fit with, with Pochettino because I just looked at uh, transfer market, which is not an absolute authority. We would be like, I think... He's like the fifth or sixth most valuable player we would have our we would have on our roster at this point, just based upon where we have him listed. But that doesn't really count on, you know, how how he fits in with everybody else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How about Cincinnati? We talked a little bit earlier about clubs that have opened their checkbooks after the CBA was signed, and maybe even at least one of them did that before. So um, FC Cincinnati finally showed a little bit of ambition here with a signing and with a rumored signing also. Um, so let's get into that a little bit. Yeah. So this Brenner kid, I haven't honestly haven't read a ton about uh, him as a player, but just reading through the rumors, I, he was connected to some pretty big clubs for some pretty big money. So to see FC Cincinnati come in and and be willing to spend that kind of money, but the rumor right now is thirteen million dollars, which is that's big for any MLS club. Like that's more. Have you looked into what like where that would sit on? It's one like, of the ten. I think it's like one of the ten biggest signings ever. Yeah, that um, sounds right to me. Yeah, and the one thing, the other thing I read is that it was it would be a record fee. Of course, there's always qualifiers, but. It's a record fee from a player moving from South America to North America. Um, this is the biggest signing with that, uh, with that um, transition. Because I think the other the other biggest players have all come from Europe. Yeah, so that's that's it's. I, I think it's fun to see a team like FC, FC Cincinnati show some ambition like that. There's also rumors linking them to PT Martinez, uh, who. Well, came to Atlanta United a couple of years ago. Uh, didn't do so hot there. Ended up moving to Saudi Arabia for decent money. Um, but they've been uh, Cincinnati's been linked to to PT Martinez. Uh, he ended up denying those rumors on Instagram, saying that he's happy where he is and he plans on staying. So that doesn't that doesn't mean that Cincinnati wasn't trying to get him. It just means that PT's maybe not into it. But um, Chris Bills made an interesting point in an article on the striker the other day, uh, kind of how Austin FC might be involved in that trade. Do you want to go into some of those details? Yeah. So Austin FC, this is a, another one of these beautiful things about MLS where we call <laughs> completely different things kind of by the same name, but right now Austin FC sits at the top of the allocation order, which more or less applies to players coming back from abroad 
Um, there's other qualifications, like if they're national team players or they have to sign for over $500,000, I believe, abroad before they come back. But regardless, Austin FC is at the top of the list for anybody like Pitti Martinez that would come back. Um, so if Cincinnati was to make that deal, they would have to give Austin FC something in order to acquire that spot. They can't just make a deal and skip to the start of the line because of the nature of MLS. So I think that's where it's really could be good for us for that to happen with Pitti or, or anybody else, you know. Yeah, any, any of the team. national team players that we yeah. mentioned in, in shows past, I think probably most of them wouldn't fit into the team anymore at this point. So that would probably be the best case scenario for Austin right now is to sell that spot to someone else who will use it. So, I, yeah, hopefully we can get some money out of it. Yeah, and if you look at the history of those deals, I mean, teams have made a lot of good money. Usually it's money, right? You know, a, a trading away those spots, but it's been successful in the past. It's a way to... Uh, pick up ways to acquire other players. So in that way, I hope the deal goes through. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, I think we're ready to to jump into that interview with uh, Jordan Inkey that we mentioned. So as I said before, Jordan is the vice president of stadium operations for Austin FC. He's going to be the person making sure that Q2 Stadium is is running efficiently and making sure that the fan experience experience is a great one. So uh, we're going to get to ask him some some really interesting questions, some questions from fans as well. So I, I think this uh, we got some good information out of it. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview. Hi, we are joined today by Jordan Inkey, the VP of Stadium Operations for Austin FC. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to do this. Yeah, so you you were just telling us uh, off off mic or before recording that you've been in Austin for for about two years now. So just wanted to start off the interview, just telling us what do you think of Austin? How do you like it so far? That's oh, it's incredible. Uh, get to wear a, a t shirt right now and in, in February, so. Uh, change of pace from where I grew up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you were one of the, one of the first employees uh, of Austin FC. So tell us a little bit about what it's been like to see kind of the, the reaction of the city of the, the buildup of the club and to have so many new people um, on, on the staff, but then also just as far as the city's attention grow, like what, what has that been like from your, pers- your perspective? Yeah, I think I said it out loud for the first time the other day. I'm 38 months on this project, um, so it's <laughs> it's it has been incredible. And you know, I I think a good way to sum it up is you know the the rustic tap event a few years ago, where you know I was I was there earlier watching everything get set up, and all of a sudden somebody grabs me. They're like, "Hey, supporters are showing up. You got to check this out." I open up the door. I'm like, "Whoa!" Like this is for real. And, you know, we were still what, two years, two and a half years from signing our first player at that point. So, you know, just, just seeing that from such an early on, you know, it it was exciting. It's got me excited. It's got me very motivated for this. Jeremiah and I might have been in that, uh, in that mob that you were looking at. (laughs) We we, we were in that alley where you were wondering about what you were going to do with this group of people, but but it was a great day. We had a really good time. Hopefully y'all did too. Yeah, yeah, huge milestone for the club, and you know I think we've we've fortunately been checking them off since. Um, you know, with our staff growing, uh, and you we're talking about that. It's it's been really exciting watching us grow from a small organization. You know, our office is over on Kramer. I remember the first month I was the only person with no furniture sitting in there. Uh, you know, trying to figure out how to get 
internet and all the furniture uh, <laughs> as we kind of ramped up. So uh, it, it has been neat to neat to see, neat to see change. Um, and, you know, we've been very fortunate to be an organization that's been able to grow in, you know, some, some trying times right now. And, you know, we've, we've really got a great, great group of folks, very creative, um, you know, as I think you've all probably seen and got to know. So as I mentioned before, you are the VP of stadium operations. So let's talk about the stadium, uh, Q2 stadium as it's, as it's called now, uh, we all remember when it was just a big dirt field for a long time. And, uh, we, we, I know that we've really enjoyed watching it grow and Jeremiah and I have, have, and several, several other folks have taken lawn chairs out there and just sat next to the construction sites many a time. And so we've definitely enjoyed watching it grow, but what is, um, what is your experience been like watching it grow and kind of knowing that that's what like that's the building you're going to be in charge of one day yeah i think similar experience i remember uh, my first time seeing the site standing in the sunoco gas station parking lot overlooking uh, a bunch of overgrown weeds uh trying to figure out how a stadium fits into this uh this plot in austin right <laughs> um you know for, and I'm very much a visual person, so it's, you know, show me, show me on paper. Um, but, you know, fortunately, a lot of our design team are uh, much better at making that happen than what I am. <laughs> so uh, it, it has been exciting, um, you know, just being able to actually see it go from this two-dimensional, you know, uh, uh, you know, drawings on a piece of paper to you know, getting through the design phases, getting through various approvals, getting a building permit and seeing things start to go vertical. Um, and I remember just when the earthwork was done and we had a big hole in the ground and I thought that was awesome. You know, I took my truck <laughs> and I pulled it into what, what will eventually be midfield on a rainy day. And I sat there, I was like, this is so cool. Uh, you know, <laughs> and now, you know, we're, we're over 90% complete and we're seeing finishes go in and you know, it's, it's, I always take our renderings and I'm like, gosh, wow, like this is happening. This is real. Um, you know, it's not just a drawing on a piece of paper anymore. So tell us a little bit about what your, your day-to-day -day work looks like at this stage in the process and then what it's going to look like a couple of months from now when the state, when the season starts. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of months, we'll go back to, you know, hopefully what was normal for me for the last decade, and that's actually operating a stadium and having fans in and, you know, celebrating goals and all that fun stuff. But, uh, you know, right now, um, you know, there's, there's still design work happening. Um, if you can believe that at 90%, <laughs> uh, still, still a lot of reviews. Um, so, you know, it, it is a lot of time being spent with the construction managers, our owners rep, um, you know, our, uh, our architects. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm out on site maybe four or five times a week, um, sometimes for fun, sometimes to check on things. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it has been very rewarding, like you said, seeing it from the beginning. And then during, like you said, getting back to managing a stadium, what does that look like during the season? What, what is, what's just some, some of the things that you'll be doing during the state, during the season? Yeah. Take, take all things COVID out of it. We'll try to. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Please, please. Let's do that <laughs> all the way around. So, you know, it's, it's, how are we getting 20,000 plus people into the stadium? How are they enjoying themselves? 
you know, how are we living up to, you know, this, this great job that our sales and marketing team has already done, um, you know, th through this process. And, you know, I, I think I've laid it out. It's, it's our sales team has, you know, effectively sold the stadium out, right? Um, we've got single match. Our marketing team has built this tremendous brand, uh, you know, that continues to get cooler and cooler. Um, you know, I, I look and I'm like, gosh, it's it's really up to, uh, you know, our team ops and our stadium ops at this point. Team's got to win games. We've got to deliver the stadium on time uh, and, you know, um, kind of live up to all those expectations. So those are those are the things that have been running through my mind as we're looking at, you know, all the fun plans and policy development, too. Yeah, let's talk about um, so. Andy has mentioned on and off that June's kind of a target start date for when we get in the building. Um, what are the big things that y'all need to get done between now and June to be ready for, for that? I said we're about 90% complete, just over. So 10% uh, construction <laughs> uh, will be great. But, you know, we're, we're I, I said it, we're hiring our full-time. You know, we're still hiring full-time. Uh, we've got about 1200 other positions that'll support an event day. And we've got to bring those folks on. We've got to train them, you know, culturally, we want them to be a right fit. You know, we want them to deliver on the brand that's been created. Um, but then they also need to know the stadium, right? So we need to do this in manageable groups. Uh, we need to get them inside the building. Um, you know, we need to teach them all the fun naming conventions that are around there so that when people come in and they're staring down at their ticket, they can be proactive and say, oh, you need to get to, you know, section 113, that's West Midfield. Um, you know, so, the, you know, I think the, the training and the uh, onboarding is going to be uh, one of the biggest lifts between now and uh, now and June. Yeah, I can imagine that because in the eyes of the consumer, whether they're a full-time employee or a person you hired for the day to help get them seated, they have a, they have a common expectation around that. So that's got to be Interesting. Are you involved in that sort of that hiring and training part of that too? Yes, we've uh, we we kind of kicked off in earnest, at least publicly. Um, I want to say on Thursday or Friday we posted our first uh, guest services position. So these are all the people that you know the the old terms, the ushers, ticket takers, you know, greeters, all those folks. So that's kicked off. But really behind the scenes, we've been working on this for for quite a while, several months. And that's, you know, culturally, what do we want to be known for? How are we incentivizing these people? Um, you know, how, how do they feel like they're not just here for four hours every week, you know, showing up to collect a paycheck, but actually integrating them into our organization and, and getting that buy-in. And that doesn't just sit with our guest services staff, you know, that's, that's from parking to food service or security team, you know, even working with the city um, with our first responders. So, you know, it is, it's a large buy-in that we want so that there is this, um, you know, consistent experience that people have, whether, you know, you're, you're parking somewhere up in the domain and coming down or you're on site or you're, you know, looking at some active or micro mobility solution. You mentioned uh, just kind of the, the consistent experience in the stadium. It's something I hadn't thought a ton about with, with Austin FC stadium, but um, my, I was raised a Cubs fan, strangely in, in the Texas panhandle, but I've been up to Wrigley field several times and it's, you get that, like that experience, um, just everyone's very friendly and like, it's not, you can tell it's not just a bunch of 
temp workers or just a bunch of people who are there just to work for a couple of hours. Like they work at Wrigley Field and they're very proud to do that and very happy to do that. So it's it's a thing that a lot of people probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about, but it does make a lot of difference whenever you put that extra effort into things like that. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, you know, I think our, our fans are going to be, you know, they're, they're happy, they're excited, they're ready to be there, but you know, we really want that to translate across to, to the staff too. Right. I mean, I, I know that the, you know, like I said, 1200 plus staff that are going to be there to support the 20,000 plus fans uh, you know, when, when we're able to open the stadium at capacity, you know, I think, I think everyone's going to have that same, uh, maybe sigh of relief for a moment, but then just, just complete excitement. Do you have somebody you look to? Is there a role model kind of in what you do? Like, Oh, we want to be like the Cubs or LAFC or whoever, like, is there, is there a gold standard or a, a playbook you look to for that? Jeremiah, this feels like a little bit of a trap question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, of of course, there there are clubs that we want to emulate in the league, and you know, I don't think there's any surprises when we say we want to be like, you know, the LAFCs or the Portlands or the Sporting Kansas Cities. You know, these teams that have fantastic stadiums, incredible stadium experience, and then just you know avid supporters that really drive the atmosphere in in the stadium yeah well so we feel that too like we you know we have that same on on the supporter side of it also you know we we have we have those role models also um so we talked a little bit about the the building and your need to visualize like is there's one thing that surprised you when the building went from drawing to reality that just like you're like that just that just blew me away or this isn't what i expected it to be or whatever i mean hopefully for the good but um in any way yeah. Um, gosh. And, you know, it's, it's talked about so much and I've probably talked about it at nauseum, but you know, our, our roof canopy, uh, you know, from when we fly a drone out at our, um, out at our performance center, St. David's performance center, we can see the stadium. You know, if, if you're on certain parts of 35, 183 Mopac, you see the stadium, like it, it is this beacon, um, and, you know, it's, it's a 200,000 square foot roof. It covers 100%. It overextends 100% of all of our fixed seating. Um, it's, it's impressive. I, as that thing was going up, you know, I'm like, gosh, all right, you know, are, <laughs> are we done yet? Um, but then, you know, when you're standing on the 400 level and you're quite literally in the canopy uh, up, up where all of our press and broadcast are, I mean, it it's very impressive. You know, you, you walk in on the north side and you look up and that literally extends from the gate all the way out 16 feet past the leading edge of the seats. It's it's a pretty remarkable structure. That's cool. And that became, y'all added onto that during the process, right? It's, is it, it's bigger now than it was originally planned to be? So I'll, I'll say this. I think from a square footage perspective, it's always maintained the same, uh, the same square footage, but uh, some of the design evolution that happened was, you know, if you look back at early renderings, there's these huge I-beams on the north and south, and it looked it looked a little much, right? So the design team uh, with Gensler and Walter P. Moore, um, one of our structural engineers, you know, they came up with this sleek, uh, you know, this cable system on there that looks a lot cleaner. So, you know, not only did it lighten the roof up, but it also, you know, I, I think made it look a lot better. Um, so, you know, it, there was some uh, design evolution and obviously design evolution, sometimes there's costs and cost exposure. And, you know, I think a testament to our ownership group 
um, you know, if we if we ever got over over budget through one of the design phases, it was always well. Here's a pathway back. And if we ever started talking about fan experience, if we ever started talking about the roof, it's like all right, no, not going to do that. Like let's continue. <laughs> so, you know, I, I I do like to point that out because that is that's an easy chopping block. It's a very expensive roof. You see other stadiums that may have started like that at one point. And they start scaling back. So, um, yeah, very, very, you know, I think everyone's very proud of that. And it's certainly a very iconic piece of our stadium. Um, so a lot of the people listening to this show are going to have tickets in the supporter section. So can you tell us a little bit about the the supporter section and what's going to make that part of the stadium really special? Yeah. Um, so 3,500 people, as, as you guys know. Um, you know, I, I, it's all, all safe standing, so we will have locked-in seats. Probably smart for me to say that, so when people do start getting in there, they're not trying to rip them off. They're locked on purpose. You know, that that was designed so that that you know that section, those sections, are standing, chanting, driving the atmosphere and energy the entire match. Uh, having the roof 100% covered over that section is going to help keep the sound in. You know, I think a couple, you know, probably right before the holidays, we had a group of seven supporters out there with some bombas and, you know, there were maybe like three or four out there and they're hitting down in the south section, right? And I just, I made a lap around the entire stadium and granted, there's not 20,000 water bags absorbing the, uh, the noise, but I mean, that it was reverberating off that roof and, you know, it just, it gets you excited when you're standing on the complete opposite end. But, you know, I think, I think to, you know, like our supporters bar, right. It's, it's TV visible. It's, it's in this prime location that stands out when you, you pan over to the Southeast corner, uh, you know, row one is only 19 feet behind, you know, the opposing goalie sometimes. Right. So it should be really intimidating. Um, you know, the, those are a couple of things. I think you know, I'll, I'll go back to the roof for just one second. Um, you guys will eventually get me sick of talking about this, but <laughs> having that section on the south end too, those seats are always covered. They're or not always covered, but always shaded. So, you know, uh, some people might look at that. It's like, why are we putting maybe some of the less expensive seats under the shade the whole time, right? We could could have gotten more money by putting <laughs> other seats there. But the reality is, you know, the, this was done and it was something that we talked about. It's like, let's put our supporters under there. We want our supporters to be under there because, you know, if we do play that 3 p.m. match because we're nationally televised, you know, we don't want the energy level to die. So there was, there was, like I said, a lot of intentional design. That's really cool. So on, on the seats, will there be, you've seen it before, but there's like a rail. Is it like a rail that locks in or are they individually locked seat-wise? Every individual seat is locked. And the reason we have to put those seats in is when we host a FIFA sanctioned event, they require every ticket needs a physical seat. So that's how you kind of skate around that one. <laughs> so, so, so some poor guy, maybe myself, will go through and unlock those 3,500 seats to host, you know, a, a men's or women's international match. Um, but yeah, so they're they're all locked, and yes, they are locked on purpose. And then you do have a rail that kind of comes up, call it mid gut. Um, you know, that's that's been designed. It's been anchored. Uh, it's got a little bit of an angle on it. Um, 
but yeah, pretty, again, pretty slick design. I think a lot of lessons learned from, from some people that did it right from, you know, some people that wish that they could maybe do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, can you tell us of any, any like fan friendly features that have been implemented into the stadium that you're particularly proud of? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of stadiums that you see specifically in the MLS, I mean, uh, uh, NFL, you get in, you know, you walk around and it feels like an arena. Uh, you walk around our stadium and it's open, you know, you pull up our construction cam right now on top of the Copeland and you see straight down inside of our stadium, you walk around the stadium, it's, you know, similar to Wrigley, right? You can look into Wrigley from the street. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's really neat and it, it really keeps with the intent of, you know, the promise that, that was kind of delivered as we were going through uh, pieces with council and we were talking about this project. Um, and that's, you know, being smart and creating a fan comfortable environment. You know, you don't want to build this $260 million stadium that people aren't going to show up to because it's uncomfortable. Um, so keeping those corners open, allowing the prevailing winds to be able to pass through, um, you know, not closing in the top of the stadium or the corners um, to allow heat to, to dissipate. Um, you know, one of the big ones, 30% of our stadium, the entire lower east side of our stadium, you know, not, not just the premium, but the entire lower east side is a mesh seating product. Um, you know, a fun story that I like to tell, we literally had every seat type from every vendor um, sent to our Kramer office. You know, August of last year, we drug them all out into the parking lot. We let them bake for a couple of hours. We bought a heat gun over at Home Depot. And then we called some of our sales staff out, you know, and, and, and you know, they went out and we said, all right, you guys have to sell these things. Do you, you know, have a seat, <laughs> you know, you sit down. <laughs> how do you feel? If you're, yeah. If, if you immediately jump out or if, you know, your arm starts burning, it's like, how, you know, how are you going to ask someone to purchase this? So, you know, there was, there was a very big study done to find out, you know, what seats would be protected because of shade. Uh, the reality is at 630, um, when we primarily open gates, at that point, 100% of our seats are covered most of the year. Um, you know, I was out there and granted, you know, we're not playing on February uh, 7th, but you know, if you're, if you're out there, uh, in, in the evening right now, you know, five, five thirty, every seat's covered. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that's always been a pretty, uh, pretty big design concentration. You know, we've got 11 of these, uh, monster fans on the East concourse. Our concourses are wide, you know, they're, they're comfortable. Um, there's some, there's some pretty neat design aesthetics then too, that are, uh, actually just got painted, um, down in the supporters concourse too. So, real excited to see it all come together, but yeah, I mean, in, intentional design and really with fan comfort in mind. We've heard a lot since the beginning of the stadium design about uh, kind of frictionless entry and, and exit and then um, like contactless payment experiences and things like that. Now that we're getting a little bit closer to that being a reality, can you give us any more details about those kinds of things? Yeah. Um, and, and well said, uh, you know, from the beginning of this project, being tech forward is always a pillar of our design. Uh, being sustainable was always a pillar of our design. Um, so, you know, COVID may have, uh, <laughs> may have jolted 
some of that in some of these industries where they've had to pivot, but you know, having having mobile tickets, um, you know, in, in ease of ability to transfer if you're a season ticket member and you want to, you know, send some tickets to your buddies. Um, you know, that that was always a consideration. So, you know, I think I think we've stuck true to that, you know, from from the mobile payments perspective too. Um, you know, that doesn't mean we won't have options, um, you know, to to the reverse ATM philosophy um, type thing. You know, we will have options, um, you know, for banked and underbanked uh, demographics and folks that are coming to the stadium. Uh, you know, I think another part of the stadium is we want to be inclusive. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's it was nice that we really didn't have to change too much of our design. Um, you know, whether it's the the mobile tickets, the walkthrough metal detectors, um, you know, our point of sale, um, mobile ordering capabilities. So, you know, so much of it is, is soccer. It's, it's great in the fact that, you know, you can set, you quite literally set your watch to it. You've got 45 minutes where you're watching the match. You've got 15 minutes to go get your next two beers. Then you've got 45 minutes to finish watching the match. And by having these frictionless, uh, you know, cashless mobile payment type technologies, mobile ordering technologies, you know, we want you to be in your seats. You know, we want that atmosphere. We want to create a, a you know, very difficult place to play for the opponents. And, you know, we, we kind of thought that having this tech forward uh, philosophy as a part of our design and a pillar of our design was going to help that. Yeah, and I guess, and also to that point, I mean, not having like, did you ever look at like the San Jose, you know, giant bar, where people hang out and drink beer, don't watch the game. Was that ever a part of your consideration? Uh, yeah, um, we went through, you know, some a lot of bar iterations and talks, and uh, you know, I I really like where we landed with the beer hall. You know, we've got a capacity of three hundred and thirty nine up there. Um, you know, probably a bad place to try to keep a secret, but we'll open it pre gates. Um, you know, so that'll be open. It'll encourage people to get here early, but you also notice it doesn't have a view of the pitch. So we've provided a conditioned space for fans, but again, go grab your beers and get back out there and cheer on, you know, Austin FC. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's some things that maybe turn more gimmicky than they do, um, you know, reality. Uh, you know, I think San Jose has done a great thing. They've got that massive scoreboard on top of the bar too. Um, you know, but, you know, I, I, I really think what's been delivered from a design perspective has stayed very true to Austin as well in our stadium. Yeah, I want to talk transit a little bit now. Um, it, it, I guess a couple of things specifically because I've heard different things about where rideshare drop off and pick up it's going to be so do we do we have a final answer on that one what have you heard jeremiah <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> well we we drink beer over on delta drive usually we're watching the construction site so i've heard that but then i heard recently maybe it was on mccalla south of the stadium too sure um so i'll say as things stand today and you know this this has been a highly highly coordinated effort with uh you know Austin Transportation Department, Austin Police, Austin Fire, um, you know, right of way, the corridor planning program, CAP Metro, um, uh, TxDOT, right? Um, because Burnett's a TxDOT road. So, you know, we do have 
weekly, uh, monthly full coordination and weekly conversations with, with subsects of these groups. And we've been doing this for, you know, well over a year to get this plan right. Um, so as things stand, the way that our traffic uh, coordination plan currently reads is right off of Burnett, um, we're building Bright Verde Way. So we'll have a Cat Metro um, event bus stop built right off of that. And then just north of where that event bus stop's gonna be, we'll actually tuck in right off of uh, um, right off of Burnett there and allow for rideshare uh, to, to pop in for uh, drop-off, right? So drop-off, we wanna get people close. For pickup, uh, we'll change that a little bit and let people disperse a little bit. So you can go north or south as things stand um, in the current plan, you can go down to McHale so just south of the uh, the Broadstone multifamily there, or you can go up to Brockton, um, you know, just kind of north of the Baylor Scott White there. Um, that also circulates and cuts over to Kramer. So, uh, you know, a couple of options. You know, so much thought has gone into you know not gumming up the Breaker Burnett intersection, <laughs> um, but you know, there's there's been uh, pedestrian infrastructure improvements, lighting improvements. You know, what will eventually come with corridor planning program with some drainage improvements, some bike lanes, some left turns only on breaker and burn it. So um, a lot of construction, um, you know, is happening over there. Um, you know, in terms of the Delta Donnelly Denton loop that you described there, um, internally, we call it the D3 loop because <laughs> saying all that gets to be a little tongue twister. Um, you know, once uh, once the Cat Metro rail station gets over there and we can have safe pedestrian crossing, we'll likely turn our rideshare program over onto the D3 loop. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful road that goes out onto metric. You've got, you know, uh, 4th Tep and Fairweather down at the bottom of it. Um, you know, Circle and Hop Squad aren't too far away. Oscar Blue's right down the street. Um, <laughs> Nice area east of the rail there. Not that I frequent any of these places, <laughs> but um, I've, I've seen them on maps. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, that that road will turn into a huge asset for us, um, you know, as soon as we can safely cross it. But, you know, un until then, we do want to encourage fans, you know, stay on the sidewalks. If you do park over on that side of the road, you know, go around. Um, but uh, and and we are working on some plans with with Cat Metro and ATD and APD specifically um, as we manage fan safety because that's that's you know that's going to be our top priority. Yeah, it's it is amazing the the con all the entities that come together. I ran a homeowners association that was like on the edge of the city, but part of it was in the county, but part of it was a state highway, and I, like I had that experience too. And then the other transportation thing I wanted to ask about uh, is we've got a lot of cyclists um who are friends supporters so what's the plan for sort of bicycle parking or facilities yeah um so again as as it currently stands we're we are planning for you know all the current micro mobility um and active mobility solutions um you know part of that was building a portion of the red line trail on the east side of our stadium so once that it's connected you know we really hope to see a lot of cyclists a lot of foot um foot traffic over there um, but our, our plan is to have a bike valet probably on the north side um, where the marquee is, uh, just south of the discount tire there. That, as you come onto our site down that, you know, we're calling it the Panhandle Road, we'll call it placeholder. Um, 
that will be a pedestrian only road. We'll only egress vehicles out of there. So that'll be bollarded off. You'll be able to take your bikes or, you know, walk down from the domain, excuse me, uh, walk down from the domain and we'll have a, a bike valet corral um, set up outside of there. But, you know, Monday through Friday, we've got bike bollard and barricade all around the building too. So, you know, we, we don't want this stadium to be viewed as, uh, you know, uh, Austin FC soccer matches only. It, it should be an asset to, to the community. And, you know, that's how we kind of see it happening, specifically with a lot of the, um, uh, you know, landscape, hardscape around. You know, I think that's, that's a pretty neat feature that you don't get at a lot of stadiums. And uh, can you give us, um, I guess, just the latest updates on the uh, the rail station? Yeah, so um, one, a lot of conversations with Cat Metro, as I'm sure you can imagine, whether we're talking about, you know, transit, whether we're talking about rail, the, you know, the buses, queuing, um, you know, how we want to move people, what our mode splits are going to look like. Um, and and they've, they've been great to work with. Um, you know, I, we're still a couple of years out from having that rail station fully operational. Um, good news is, is it's it's coming, right? Um, you know, I think Cat Metro at some point this year. Uh, you know, we're probably still several months away from it, but they'll be they'll have an announcement as to you know maybe some of the design pieces of it. I know they're kicking off some of their uh, public outreach coming up here. So I think they've got a series of meetings with various neighborhood associations and, you know, just people that are interested because, you know, similar to what we've done, they want to listen, they want to design, uh, you know, transit that works, that helps reduce congestion, that helps with sustainability. So, you know, it, it, it will be a great partnership when it all gets, uh, you know, kind of up and going, but, um, you know, they, they're keeping us in the loop, um, you know, having conversations on, on the design process. So, um, you know, couldn't really ask for a better, uh, transit partner from that perspective. Yeah. I can guarantee you there's going to be a lot of Austin FC fans at those, those neighborhood meetings, because, uh, I think there's probably a lot of us who have fallen into been tricked into to civic engagement by being soccer fans through this whole Austin FC project. So I think there's a lot of us who are paying a lot more attention to that kind of stuff than we ever used to. So there's definitely, you're definitely going to see some Austin FC fans at those meetings. Um, and yeah, you know, I'd, I'd point out like that, that's fantastic. And, you know, the, the station is, is well on its way. Um, you know, but other considerations it's, you know, they're, we're we're fortunate to get it right at the stadium but you know there are people in austin that rely on that as a means to get to work as a means to get around town and while as great of an asset as it is going to be for austin fc and q2 stadium and all of our fans and we also need to let other people you know i guess uh share in and participate in these discussions um you know so again so they can they can get to work or they can get to the doctors or the grocery store so yeah absolutely yeah. All right. Well, I think we have one more question. One more question that we would be remiss not to ask you while we have the opportunity. Tell us about what the uh, the craft beer options are going to look like in the stadium. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good question. Um, as you heard earlier, I'm I'm fluent um, fluent in many of the beer selections around the stadium. Unfortunately, I haven't frequented as much in the last year or so. But um, no, I'll I'll say. Uh, 
we want to be as agnostic as we can. Um, you know, Austin's such a fantastic city for craft beer in general, you know, over 60 some odd breweries um, when you kind of expand into the greater area. Um, but we've also got these, you know, six or seven hyper local ones too, which, you know, I think are going to be a great story. Um, you know, could I tell you who's going to be in there, uh, you know, in, in June? Um, probably not right now. Uh, you could probably take some guesses, but, you know, similar to what we're doing with some of our uh, concessions and giving opportunities, um, rather than your traditional way into, uh, into stadium food and beverage service, you know, allowing opportunities to get rotation and, and change flavors in the stadium. Um, you know, we'll, we'll do the same thing with our beer. Um, you know, the, uh, the beer hall's got 18 taps and that's not the only place with taps in the building. So um, a lot of taps to fill. <laughs> Wait, right, I, have so one, I have one more, one more question. There, there was... Sure. The sign said home of Austin. There was a big thing that said home of Austin FC. That was a sign. And then, and it's not, it's not on breaker anymore. Like what happened to that? Well, the structure is still there. Right. Um, it's coming back. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll tell you that it's coming back. Uh, you know, there, um, if, if you maybe, uh, sequence up some of the announcements, uh, you know, the, the Q2 announcement was right on the heels of that. So, You'll see uh, some proper stadium naming rights signage going out there, going around the facility. Um, so, so part of, part of it had to do with that, but yeah, that's that's going to be a nice little asset out there. Yeah, look cool. So you're going to install a giant Q2 on top of it. That'll be like 50 feet tall. I love this idea. Unfortunately, <laughs> our our zoning won't allow that. Uh, you know, speaking of civic, if we want to go back into all of that, but I I think we're happy where we landed on our uh, on our zoning and. We'll stay within the uh, our contractual and legal obligations with the city of Austin and, and keep the size of the sign that we need to. <laughs> yeah, Got to keep it. Mayor Adler happy. Got to keep him happy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, I think that's a good place to stop. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us. This has been great. Yeah, Landon, Jeremiah, great to uh, great to do this. Looking forward to getting everyone in the stadium. All right, man. Thank you. Have a good night. Yeah. Have a nice evening, guys. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you once again by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to fvf.law to find out more about what makes FVF different and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcomes of a case. Once again, that's fvf.law. And we also want to remind you to check out the Strikers 2021 Texas Soccer Summit, which is coming up very, very soon. It's a free four-day virtual event talking all things soccer from MLS to youth ranks to everything in between. The Texas Soccer Summit is going to take place from February 10th to February 13th, and you can register for free at TexasSoccerSummit.com. Thank Jordan one more time. Uh, I, th- I think we ended up getting some some bits of information we didn't know about that, didn't we, Jeremiah? Yeah, it was good to hear a little bit about uh, about parking, about the bikes, and some transit things that we didn't necessarily I didn't know about before. Maybe yeah. other people did, but it was new to us. Yeah. So uh, before we wrap up, um, 
Austin FC announced their local broadcast partners, the English language broadcast partners anyway. Do you want us give, to give us a few details about that, Jeremiah? Yeah, I'll do that uh, pretty quickly. So the deals with Nextar TV, which probably nobody knows the name of, but it's uh, KXAM, which is our local NBC station, um, plus KBVO um, and CW Austin, which are three options they have there. Uh, they announced that CW, the CW Austin will be the primary home of the club um, most of the time. Uh, and one of the things that we heard it was that it was really important to the team to have all the matches available over the air to everyone in the metro area uh, so that anybody that wanted to be able to watch it could, which I think is an important thing to be able to do when you're building excitement around a first-time club. And then it was also good to hear that there's they weren't specific, but there's some broadcast partnership in the San Antonio area too, um, which our friend Harry from San Antonio soccer fan most Verdi's fan, but not a huge fan at all of SNFC is probably really excited to see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, going back to the kind of the accessibility option, for those of you who are on MLS Twitter, you will have seen someone complain about uh, being like blacked out of their own team's games. Uh, this deal is going to make it to where that will never or almost never happen, probably. Like, if there's a game, you're going to be able to watch it. All you need is an antenna in most cases. So that's, I think that's good news. We can get into more of those details later on as, as some more details emerge. But um, I, I think that part of it specifically is really good news that everyone's going to be able to watch a game whenever, pretty much whenever it's on. Um, all right. Before we wrap up, I wanted to remind everyone to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, let's also, you know, we mentioned this last week and Leaks Mike Carr took this took us up on it. But if you want to continue the soccer conversation, check us out on Twitter at jbentley underscore ATX or lviajero87 or by our real names because we're always look, looking to connect with people um, and talk more about the sport we love. Um, we'd also like you to re- ask you to visit the Striker Texas website. And Chris Bills is putting out a ton of content, like at least an article a day, I feel like right now yeah. um, at this <laughs> point about everything that's going on with Austin FC. Speaking of uh, Chris Bills, we're actually going to have him on the show next week. Uh, we're going to talk about latest club news. Um, we'll also get into talking a little bit about the Striker Texas. Uh, and then just kind of whatever whatever other soccer talk comes up. Hopefully we'll also have another player to, to talk about uh, before that show happens. So um, we'll be back in one week. Until then, my name is Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. Nobody is around.